T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In the pole position in Indy. The pole's position. It's time for Poles Position. The Bears have the number one pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. The Chicago Bears are on the clock. What will Ryan Poles do with the number one pick? We're going to evaluate the draft class, and I would say this, I'd have to be absolutely blown away. We're counting down the days to the NFL Draft. How about the number one pick with the Bears? Are you ready for people to start questioning whether you're the, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears next I mean, year? I am. I would trade Justin Fields. I'm Justin Fields all the way. I love the kid. What I'm hearing out of Chicago is they're finna package him up, trade him for some other pieces, and then go with the Bryce kid from Alabama. Wow, I did not know that. That's a good, that's a good little insight right there. There's many things you can do. Uh, trade um, back. Yeah, trade back. So, um, he likes that'll picks. Be a, that'll be a Twitter freaking <laughs> The Bears would be absolutely insane yeah. to trade you. Put your pom-poms down in Chicago, Justin Fields. He's not a star. Poles position with Parkins and Spiegel on 670 The Score. The Parkins and Spiegel Show, afternoons on The Score. Every day at 3 o'clock leading up to the draft, we try to get inside the mind of Ryan Poles and present a scenario, a hypothetical, a player, a position, a trade, a free agent, something that he and his team with Ian Cunningham and the rest of the Bears front office are considering as they run the offseason. Danny, let me tell you that pole position was the number one earning arcade game in 1983 and 1984 in all of North America. Both years. Wow. So I did not know that. It's a very good reason that it's on the minds of Mully and Haw, Haw. as well as us right here. 83. Damn, damn good year for arcade games. All right. So the debate has been Jalen Carter or Will Anderson Jr., that's been the who's the best player in the draft, who's the best defensive player in the draft. That's that's been the debate. And in fact, the context has often been I'm cool with either one of those guys. Right. Hey, it, it was a huge part of my logic, frankly, of trading down to four. Sure. Colts would trade up, take a quarterback, Texans would take a quarterback, Arizona would maybe trade to another team to take a quarterback, or they would take best defensive player on their board and you would get the leftover one. I don't believe in waiting for the leftover quarterback, mm-hmm. but I believe in waiting for the leftover at basically every other position. Like, Oh, the best three technique or the best edge rusher. They're both difference makers. Sure. You do it now with Jalen Carter. It might make the trade down scenario a little bit more complicated, it's a little dicier unless you're, unless you're willing to go to a different position or that kind of thing. So today, Jalen Carter stole the headlines with the two misdemeanor charges, uh, 
coming out of Atlanta for his role in the fatal car crash uh, back on January 15th. But the other player in that discussion spoke today, Will Anderson Jr. I don't know how much of him you've watched in terms of highlight videos oh, or tapes or I, anything like that. I, I've watched. I've watched the. I've watched him, and I've watched the speed off the edge. I've watched the strength when the tackle has decided to worry about the speed. I've seen him get doubled. I've seen all that. What I haven't done is heard him talk very much at all. And we'll get. We'll, I want to get to him talking in a second. But in case I assume the majority of the audience hasn't. And even when you're watching Alabama football, there's maybe, a lot to watch. Well, yeah, and maybe you're just not zeroing in on on, on one player. Uh, Will Anderson Jr., three-year starter at Alabama. He won a national championship. Alabama! <laughs> uh, he was the Cotton Bowl MVP. He also played in the so he played in the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl. Won a national championship. Uh Two-time Bronco Nagurski Trophy Award winner for the best linebacker in the country. Two-time. Two-time. S- two Sophomore. Time- How about this? Two-time SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Good conference. <laughs> two-time unanimous All-American, and he won the Benaric Award for top overall defensive player. So best linebacker, won it twice. Best defensive player, won it once. Yeah. Best defensive player in the SEC, twice. All uh Unanimous All-American both times. Had a 17-and-a-half sack season, uh, and then this past year had a 10-sack season. And generally speaking, a monster. 6'4", 245, can do anything and everything as an edge player in football. So, linebacker. Bears in a 4-3. Would have Will Anderson putting his hand on the ground. Yeah, it would be it would be a defensive end. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean six four two forty. I mean that's should be able to do that. No problem. Right. Yeah, I mean that's prototypical. I mean, hell, what what's what's Khalil Mack? What's 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 his Khalil Mack who has been an edge rusher in both. He was he was a first team All Pro in both. Yeah, yeah, six three two forty seven. So Will Anderson is 6'4", 243. So they, so are, we they need, are the same measurable. All right. So we need Will Anderson to be one inch shorter. Is <laughs> yeah, what we need. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, he. I, I know what he could do. He could give that inch <laughs> to the arms of Peter Skaronsky. <laughs> I'd be very generous of him. Right? Hey, Pete, come here. I'd Take very, this off my head. Put it on your arms. Let's go. I'd be, I'd be very, very. Now we got a draft class. Very coming generous. Together. So, Tanya, we, we, we cuts are a chunk. What do we got here? We got a little chunkage here. Like, it, this may be confirmation bias, but after the Jalen Carter news came out today, I immediately went to the Will Anderson tape. I was like, all right, kid, tell me something good here. But it's funny you mentioned Khalil Mack because he comes up in this thing as well. But I think, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter to Bears fans how these guys sound in front of the media, but this is a job interview in a lot of ways, not only with the combine stuff, but also the, with the team interviews, but also with the media. So, how do you handle yourself? What, you know, what can we know about you? It's all we have to go on right now is in the college tape. But I think when the <laughs> Bears listen to this kid and they have their one-on-one with them, with him, if they haven't already, I think they're going to like a lot of what they hear. And I, I, I see this through a Bears lens and through a, a Coach Eberflus lens. So should we just hear the kid? Well, um, let me tell you, I love the thought process of we don't know much about these two guys as people. And today we learned a lot about Jalen Carter, seemingly. And now let's learn a lot about Will Anderson. Yeah, and it he feels did- good. 
good. And he did have a meeting, we know, with the Bears at the combine. Yes. Those are the brief ones. He hasn't like come to the facility Seven yet. Seven teams, he said. Yeah, and we'll have more on that with the Bears report with Mark Rohde at 5 o'clock. But here is Will Anderson selling himself. It is a job interview. I'm super excited. Um, all the work has been good, but, um, you know, I feel like what I bring to the table, just consistency, being humble, you know, whatever culture I'm in, I'm going to do things the right way, and um, I think that's what sets me apart. I feel like football is all about embracing the change. So, you know, no matter, you know, what type of defense I get in, I'm going to adapt to it, and I'm going to be able to embrace the change and embrace the challenge that's there and, you know, learn the lessons that come with it, and that's what I'm very excited about, just whatever defense I get in, learning how to operate throughout it and uh, having fun doing Will, you talk about being humble. How do you stay humble when everybody's talking about you being one of the top three picks? One lady, Terion Anderson, my mom. <laughs> she always going to keep me grounded. <laughs> it's about what you have in here, and that's what's carried me to this point in my life. Always knowing that whatever I got going on, my mentality, my mindset is not going to change, and that's what I approach during a week of practice, and that's what I approach in the game. Being in Alabama made me very versatile, dropping the coverage, you know, playing a four-off, five technique, six technique, seven, all that type of stuff. Of, um, helping me, you know, learn pass rush moves, run. So when I dissect myself, I see myself as a very versatile player that can do just about anything. But that's thanks to Coach Saban. You know, he trusted me a lot. He's seen a lot in me. He's seen the potential, and it helped me um, mold the player I am today. So when I look back at myself, I just feel like Alabama made me a very versatile player. You can see what the coach did at Philadelphia. He had his guys on the edge going. And, you know, that's something that you know I really like. Get on the edge and go. So I'm very excited about that. This is what we dreamed of as little kids, and we're getting the opportunity to go out there and make our dreams come true. Well, your nickname the Terminator. Is that something you hope sticks to the next level? <laughs> I hope so, but I got to earn it when I get there. What makes a great pass rusher? Yeah, what makes a great pass rush, rusher is being able to affect a quarterback than just getting sacks. Get him to get off his spot, throw interceptions, helping other people make sacks, get him to throw incomplete balls out of bounds. That's what makes an efficient pass rusher. Just not getting sacks, but affecting the quarterback in different ways. Who are your favorite pass rushers as you were watching, starting watching the game? Yeah, for me, mine's with Nick Bosa, Von Miller, and Khalil Mack. I watched those guys heavily throughout college. Will, you talk about your passion for the game. Is there a childhood memory where that kind of stuff comes Yeah, so football, like, it really didn't click for me at first. Like, I was just, like, out there. But it kind of started my sophomore year of um, high school. I had a new coach, Coach Clifford Fed. And honestly, like, one day he had made me cry in the weight room because I couldn't lift the weight. And he's like, go down to the last rack. And then after that, like, my whole mentality, my whole mindset for the game, my passion for the game changed, and I started loving it. I started embracing that challenge. I started embracing him getting on me. And it got to the point where we had spring break, winter break. I'm like, Coach, I want extra work. Like, come on, like, I don't want to be doing what everybody else doing. Can you come meet me up at the high school? And it started getting to the point where I'm challenging him at practice. Like, we going to let practice go by like that? Like, no pass today and stuff like that. And that's when I started embracing the game and loving the game and having passion for it. Man. Listen, yeah. Listen so that that's a – Woo. That's a ten out of ten job interview, and then Woo. when you when you pair that with Matt Eberflus's uh, almost cliche, we got to judge if you love the game. Do you love football? How much do you love football? We really want to judge. Do you love football? Are you married to the game? Is uh, life the game? Uh, that's is his wife the game? Is, uh, is he is he married to the game? Yeah, it isn't. It isn't for everybody, and that's that comes down to the number one thing: the love of football. Yeah, so you you hear, I could definitely see Matt Eberflus being like, fine, I can't have my three technique. Give me the guy that loves football as much as Will Anderson loves football. Give me that guy. That's a, he, he, sounded, he, he sounded great. I liked also, he mentioned uh, some things that he noticed watching NFL, like NFL players. Nick like, Bosa, Khalil Mack, and Von Miller. And it also said what Philadelphia <clears throat> did with their defensive linemen and, move, uh-huh. and moving guys around. Paying so just, attention. Because like, I just... 
it has surprised me in my years of being in locker rooms and talking to athletes or whatever of just like, yeah, I didn't really have a favorite NFL team growing up. Like they, they, they don't, they, it can be a, a means to an end or something that they do because they love it, but they don't really s- study it. Like yeah. they like playing the game, but not watching the game. Yeah, it seems like that a guy was in the, the context of like the Cardinals moving up, like the Cardinals moving up to get him. It's like, oh yeah, Shane Steichen, I saw what he did with Philly with the defense. So nice. either they had their meeting wow. or he knows enough about what they do in like you know he's on their radar. Oh uh, yeah, so that's that's smart. And and and, and also the the, the self awareness to like have a moment in mind and comfortability of sharing it when asked like essentially was there a formative moment when you started being good? And he like brings up that moment where they he had, he had to get challenged by the coach and he realized, "Oh yeah, I got to respond to a challenge by embracing it and I got to turn it around like that." So that's that is a mature dude and I can tell why Tanny was touched by the football angel as he listened to that today. Yeah. Yeah, and it so you know polls talked about multipliers so if you're going to be an edge rusher are you requiring two blockers that's basically what the multiplier is right yeah where the offensive line slides down to take care of you yeah it's i mean it's a it's an 11 on 11 game mm. do you require more than the offensive tackle to block you do you require a tight end to not run out into the route tree then your secondary is covering fewer guys do you require a running back to stay in to to chip uh, on you and then that is one less guy going out you know yeah. if that's what he is it's great and so I watched you know like a four minute YouTube compilation of him today and everybody looks amazing on uh, on their highlights but what was impressive was that it wasn't just like if you think about like a guy like Von Miller speed around the edge speed around the edge and just being more like faster than everybody he had a lot of inside stunt and gain moves where he was just like overpowering tackles and bull rushing people back into the middle of the, and this is sec competition we're talking about yeah and like t- tackling guys in the a gap as where he was lining up on the edge you're just like oh that's it. so he's he's blowing up the offensive line and making a play in the middle of the field as opposed to making a play around the edge of the field see the the art of edge rushing yeah the, the art of that pass rush is such a beautiful thing Learned by so many Chicagoans as they watched Richard Dent or watching Julius Peppers or Khalil Mack. watching Khalil Mack. Or, and and, and it, because it is that thing of trying to use your speed to get around. And as soon as they're waiting on speed, changing your direction, go into a bull rush. It is that using one move to set up another and the more you study and the more you give a crap and have passion for it, then the better you will be. You know, and so it, absolutely, it, it, it's so interesting because I'm, fi- I'm, sitting, I'm sitting here thinking, Danny, about all the different coaches I've heard. I mean, we've got Tressman in there somewhere. you got to love football, right? I mean, there's so many different coaches and GMs we've heard forever saying, do you love the game? And, but it, it's true. It's well, absolutely it's- true. So it's, all, it's both the cliche and a, a very, in my opinion, legit separator of talent. Well, it, the where it gets dicey for me is that sometimes coaches or front office people dock you for having interests outside of football. Like, oh, you you read books? Mm. Like, oh, you you like fashion or movies or you know you you have other interests? And it's like, well, okay, let's not be insane. But people take it to the extreme, and they're like. Well, did Andrew Luck really love football? Right. You know, how likely are you once you get paid, if you don't really love it, to continue working on it? And 
I could see why that would be something that you would want to scout and try to judge in a player. Hey, if I give you generational money, uh-huh. are you still going to work your ass off? But most of these guys, I would think, to get to that level, have worked so hard. They are competition-aholics. Like, you, you, like I'm going to work out. I'm going to do my two-a-days. I'm going to go to the weight room. And then yeah. if I went home and I you know, read some fiction instead of just my playbook 24 hours a day, that wouldn't necessarily turn me off. But, yeah, a love of football and a commitment to the game is something that basically all of these guys believe in. I love football. Love, love football. So where I think we can tie the room together Mm -hmm. is... If we get a nice area rug. Correct. Thank you. Um, If Ryan Poles wants to trade down, which he does, said it yesterday, and if he then wants to take a top-flight defensive player, if it's going to go quarterback-quarterback, doesn't it feel exceptionally likely that Will Anderson Jr. is going to go in front of Jalen Carter? Oh, absolutely. So it feels like Jalen Carter might have fallen to four as his best posi- as best possible. He might fall out of the first round. We don't know. We'll see how the legal process goes. But... If it's going to go quarterback, quarterback, Will Anderson, mm-hmm. can't trade down to three. Cardinals are looking to draft a player at three or trade down themselves. Right. So you could, A, <clears throat> I, still like, I still think that you trade to four. You trade to four, and I think you do it before free agency and see, and see what you get. I, I, it, to me, that still makes the most sense in the world. To, it, maybe you get DeForest Buckner. Maybe you get Michael Pittman. Maybe you don't get any players. Whatever it is, that, that whatever deal you work out. And so you're sitting there as you go in free agency, and you do what you, your best you can in free agency, knowing. And then by the time the draft comes, maybe Arizona's traded down with another quarterback team, and you and you believe that quarterbacks are going to go one, two, three. You might you might know that. Or you might learn that on draft night. Maybe Arizona does it on draft night. So that's like the Fields draft where it went Lawrence, Wilson, Trey Lance. Right. Exactly. So it's completely on the board that that does that. Arizona doesn't need a quarterback. Right. So so they could trade down. Well, they might, but they've decided they don't need a quarterback. They've decided they don't. (laughs) Yeah. They've decided they don't. So you might trade down to four and sit there and have Will Anderson fall to you at four, which is great. But then if he doesn't. Have your backup plan ready, which might be to trade down again to another team that wants a quarterback. Well, then because th- then it to gets seven or eight or nine. Then, like if you're looking for an edge, how close do you have Tyree Wilson, the All American from uh, Texas Tech? Yes, or how, Miles Murphy from Clemson. From, how close do you have? those guys to Will Anderson Jr. in your grade? And that's a huge question that they need to know the answer to very, very confidently. Is one of those guys a blue on Ryan Poles' board? Yeah. Or are they a red? And they'll drop down. Yeah. Because Tyree Wilson said today at the Combine that the Bears are one of the teams he's met with. Well, that was, yeah, the Bears are going to meet with, you know, I think you could do like 30 one-on-one interviews at the combine, if I remember correctly. So, you know, because they're, they're like 15 minutes. They're, mm. they're, they're very short. And how teams handle it, uh, for the most part, is they want to ask every player the exact same questions. They ask them the, in these interviews mm-hmm. because they want to get a database of how you answered the same question. They want to have some sort of uniformity to, to the interview. And then they will do, you know, they might do something specific for quarterbacks in terms or defensive ends in terms of the plays on the board. But like for the most part, it is a it is a uniform 
quick car wash interview, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then the guys that they really like off of that, they then will bring them in for individual workouts out at Hallis Hall. Yeah. Or they'll go like Ryan Pace did to, you know, North Carolina and have the dinner with James McMahon and be impressed that he showed up in the camera. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're going to talk to all of them. For sure. Guys. For sure. But we all know it has happened before that the second or third highest rated edge rusher has ended up the best edge rusher of a draft class. Every position. Every position, right? Lane Johnson was the third tackle in in that draft. Sometimes the Pat Mahomes was the second quarterback. Yeah, yeah. It's, absolutely. Chandler Jones went after uh, Shea McClellan. Oof, that was a tough one. That was that was a tough one. But yeah, so Will Anderson Jr. seemed to ace the interview on a day where Jalen Carter certainly flunked the interview, didn't even give the interview, and uh, now it feels like he will be taken at the very least in front of Carter. And how that affects the Bears, we will track it, and we will do a, a polls position as it gets closer, kind of comparing all of the edge rushers. We should do that. We should do a deep yeah. dive on Murphy and Wilson and kind of compare uh, once the measurables come out for everybody and kind of go through everybody at that position. We got a lot of days and a lot of positions as Ryan Poles prepares to qualify. So coming up uh, the rest of the show, we've got a Bears report at 5 o'clock from Mark Grody. Speaks his 21st favorite baseball player of the last 30 summers. He's been in Chicago for 30 baseball seasons. That's coming up at 445. But coming up next, Matt Spiegel, the multi-level baseball person that he is, disagrees with Jed Hoyer. What? I thought it was WCUB. He disagrees with Jed Hoyer. He makes his case next on the score. Pitch. On course, right field, Valera doesn't move. Another home run for Mervis. There's number 29. Matt Mervis. Highlights courtesy of Marquis, I believe. No, maybe. Doesn't matter. Uh... Sound like the miners from last year. That's possible. One of the 42 bombs. It's actually from Ray Diaz. He was out there recording it for us. Courtesy of Ray Diaz. Courtesy of Ray Diaz. Diaz, is it? Sean Sears is in the description, so I think it was Sean Sears that did that. Perfect. Thank you. Good job, everybody. job all around. What's your beef with, uh, with Jed Hoyer? Matt Mervis should be given a chance to make this team on opening day. Hmm. That dude is ready. And that dude, I mean, last year was his first full year as a hitter in like five seasons um, because he was part-time pitcher while at Duke and then COVID took some seasons away and stuff like that. But man, that guy is more than just a slugger. And if you're watching some of the stuff that's going on at spring training, you're seeing it. He's walked four times, twice against lefties. He's taken a couple different lefties the opposite way. There's a great marquee video that Cliff Floyd did with him, kind of dissecting how he approaches hitting. Yeah, I watched that. It was good. Wasn't that good, man? Yeah, it was good. He's looking to go gap to gap with line drives, and that's what he does up there. And so far this spring, he's not looking to turn on stuff. He's also not really getting challenged inside. Everybody's pitching him away and seeing if he'll roll it over as a, as a, a lefty slugger and ground it to the right side, and he's not. He's driving balls the opposite way. And if you look at his best numbers from the explosive season in the minors last year, as the pitching got better, so did he. This is my favorite one. Because remember, he was like four different four different levels, if you include Arizona Fall League, where he hit the 42 homers overall. But at high A, 
a walk rate of 4.6, a K rate of 24.1. Goes up to double A, the walk rate almost doubles to 8.7. The K rate comes down to 20. Goes up to triple A, the walk rate goes up again to 10.4. The K rate goes down again to 14.6. He is patient. He is smart. He used to be a pitcher, so he thinks about like setting guys up and thinks about it from the pitcher's perspective. And just the change that he made before last season where he got this quiet at the plate. Jordan Alvarez is his comp. That's his guy. You watch him and people are raving about him. I I just think this dude is ready. And if he rakes in the spring, he ought to make the team instead of being slated for AAA on a team that desperately needs power. So, couple of things come to mind. Yeah. Damn. Seven is more than six. Is it not? overwhelmingly likely, even though this isn't a, you know, a blue chip Chris Bryant level prospect. He's also not 22. So I know what you're I, saying. I, I, I know. Service, service time manipulation. They won't, they won't say it out loud and dinged for it, but could they not say, do, and I, this isn't a defense of it. I understand. It, it, explanation. Is it just possible of, we're going to see him in May it, and, and it's lame and I hate that rule and it sucks and it's not supposed to exist, but it, so thinking that. Yeah. And then the other thing, though. And so it's possible. Let me respond to that real, real quick because okay. it's a good point, and it's obviously a very, a very understandable point. He's twenty five years old. He's not twenty two or twenty three. He's not Chris Bryant, who you're looking to lock in on forever either. And your moment is actually now. You're trying to be competitive and trying to play. I know that they have a little wiggle room, and they obviously have signed other people. Maybe that's going to be your second point. But it's like. He, he's. Don't he's, tell me my second. Point. All right, I'll, I'll tell you. I've mapped it out for you. No, I didn't. Um, I mean, you're right on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's 25, and he's not a blue chipper. Like he, he might explode and give you great things, but you're going to make your decision on him way before you get to seven being more than six. Oh, no question. You're going to. That leverage still matters. Yeah, that, that, it's not about. It, I, that wasn't what it was about with Bryant. Yeah, it wasn't was about like, when we were going to make the decision. The thing is, they ended up waiting all those years <laughs> yeah. with Bryant. Simply, with all of those it's guys. It's simply a matter of is it worth it to get an extra 162 games uh-huh. for missing 20 games on the front end? Or, or to have that extra bit of leverage that you then use when you do, re- do resign a real contract extension. If they still do, do are they still, do they still believe in contract extensions? I, there's no way to know. Um, <laughs> The other thing that, you know, I've been thinking about here, Seiya Suzuki is missing a significant amount of time. Yeah. So so he's, out of, he's out of the World Baseball Classic. He's right. going to miss the start. He's, he's not going to be there for opening day. Probably not going to be there for opening day. I yeah. mean, they haven't ruled him out right. yet, but they, it wasn't a mild strain. It was a moderate right. strain. That is That suggests he's not there for opening day. And they've said so, Trey Mancini's going to cover some of his time in right field. And Trey Mancini played, I think, 11 games in right field last year. He's done it more before, but he's played very little right field. They have Nelson Velasquez, but, like, if Mancini is going to be out there in right field, they already lack power. Mm. Mervis has power. Couldn't they just say, hey, you're our designated hitter? Uh, they could. Like, like, I, like, I'm not making this, – this. the first point was kind of like, what are they thinking about service time? The second point is – it seems now with the Suzuki injury there's that it's way, back in play. There's way that it's back in play that there's there's way less of a viable excuse if he has a monster spring, especially to keep him down there because it seems like there's just going to be you're going to have a DH spot available four days a week. Well, they've got 
you know, they signed Hosmer, and it was the signing of Hosmer that lit the lit the spark that has become my my flame here because Hosmer and Mancini is a first base DH, a first base platoon setup, and there's no room for Mervis unless you make him yeah your 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 DH. Um, so Hosmer defensively. Not what he used to be, but he's still really damn good. So they're going to play him a lot at first base. And yeah, Mervis could DH, but they've got other guys. They've got this guy, um, Edwin Rios, they got from the Dodgers, who hit 20 homers, I think, in 240 plate appearances, something like that. There's a lot of power there. And maybe they're going to let him make a team or let Zach McKinstry make a team with more defensive flexibility in addition to some of these other guys. So. I I still I would still bet on Mervis starting a AAA even with the Suzuki injury and I think it's wrong. Chicago Cubs spring training coverage brought to you by Sloan, the official water efficiency partner of the Chicago Cubs. There's also some nostalgia tied in when you actually do watch the guy. Yeah, right. So David Ross talking to Boog and the guys over on Marquee about Matt Mervis and who he reminded uh, JD of. Felt really good about his uh, progress last year and put himself on the map, and he's a guy that uh, hopefully continues on that trend. He's got kind of a Rizzo body, doesn't he? I, you know, I didn't want to compare him. You, I'm glad you said it, J.D., I didn't. But just the whole, like, it's like the shoulders are just really long and thick, the, the, the neck, you know, just the whole thing. He's just got a presence about him in the box. He's a very simple, quiet young man, but a really good way about him so far. David Ross agreed with Jim Deshays when he said he reminds him of Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> Headlines. <laughs> but, yeah, right. That's always the problem, right? Oh, Rossi said you're yeah, going to be Anthony. No, no, yeah. no. We're uh, talking body type. Yes. Who knows what he ultimately will be. So I love that, and we are the ones to amplify that and make it a headline, so consider that done. But it's not just body type. He said he's got a presence in there, you know, and he's quiet. It's the approach And if there. he's got the, the Rizzo control of the strike zone yes. which i mean again very early in spring he looks the like the ability does. and desire to go the other way yeah i i don't i want to believe that hosmer doesn't block anything he, he really shouldn't block anything he hasn't been good for years i like the guy he started out pretty well batting average wise last year okay yay uh okay your opening day starting right fielder, Trey Mancini, just struck out a 91-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle of his plate. All right. <laughs> on an 0-2 count. Power. Where's Yikes. it going to be for this Cubs team? Matt Mervis has power. Uh, well, that, so, that, so, so get him out there. Let him play. Okay. So mm. I, I think that it's – I if he has a big spring, I want to believe that he's there, and I'm with you. He should be, and I think that the explanations for him not to be after the Suzuki injury – are going to get tougher and tougher for them to make the case. But a few things do need to happen. He needs to have a great spring. Yeah, and so far it's been pretty darn good. He struck out a few times, but as I mentioned, the walks and going a couple up. Doubles. A couple, a couple yeah. doubles. And and really blowing everybody away. Mancini said incredible things about Mervis yesterday. Yeah, but but Hosmer shouldn't block anything. They're paying him no money. 700 grand. Yep. Yeah, he's it, a big name because of what he did in 2015 and then the contract he signed after that. Yep. You know, so it's it's been... It's been a while since Hosmer has been a big name, highly productive player. Still has value in theory for culture and chemistry and maybe a little defense. Sure. But that's about it. Um, so, look, I, I hope so. I'll be watching the story closely. I want Mervis to be given a chance to win the job, and hopefully he will. He's about to go play for Team Israel in the WBC. One other thing about the Rizzo comp, this may not surprise you, I wanted Anthony Rizzo to make the team to start 2012. 
Oh. And he did not. He instead went to the minors at AAA, where he hit 342 with 23 homers and 62 RBIs before getting called up on June 26th. So they sent Rizzo down. And then he came up and raked right away. So it's interesting. And that was a year where they were not expecting to be competitive. They were still a couple years away from when they expected to be competitive. This year, the way they're talking and acting and what they signed and everything, they are expecting to be competitive. So go ahead and put this 25-year-old out there. I hope that they expect to be competitive. I think they do. They, they yeah, they're going to try their best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I hope the team is. Danny, I, remember, scientists have have come together to say their floor is eighty wins. I know, I know, and we are still trying to teach those scientists what floor means. <laughs> I'm doing my best, Frank. Best. I can't. What do you think we're in the <laughs> haberdashery business? <laughs> Speaks his 21st favorite baseball player of the last 30 years in an hour. It's a current present day Chicago superstar. But coming up next, something ridiculous happened in a baseball game yesterday that was outright hilarious. It's next on the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. And here's the controversy. Listen, we love fun, right? Afternoons on the score. So spring training baseball is weird. Sports without consequences are weird. And weird things happen when there are no consequences in sporting events. That's basically a decent rule to live by. And yesterday, see, I bad job by me. I already forgot who was playing. Yeah, no worries. Pirates and Orioles. Pirates and Orioles. But as you say, like spring training games in general, like you've been out there, Danny, they map out, the managers do, who's going to pitch. These guys are going to pitch these couple innings. These guys will pitch these couple innings. And... They want to. They want guys to play, and they want defensive guys to get reps. So oftentimes they agree to play regardless of what the score is the entire damn game. Yeah, and they. How many times have you seen a pitcher get shelled in spring training and be like, "How'd you feel today?" And he was like, "It was great." Sure. I just wanted to work on my slider. Yeah. Like I, I was just working on something. Like the the results are different. Uh, the game planning. You're not you're not scouting the other teams right. like hot zones right. or anything like that. It's yeah. just a, it's a different thing. And when the late innings come along, you're like, oh yeah, this is where I'm going to get um, the 43rd pitcher on my or whoever it is. This guy's going to be in double A. Right. Yeah. But I want him to get the feeling of throwing this inning today, maybe three or four times along the spring. I want him to get this feeling. So so they agree sometimes. They're like, uh, hey, what do you say you and me, Pirates and Orioles, we play all nine, but what if uh, we're winning, uh, say, seven to four in the middle of the ninth inning? What about then? Like, and the game's over at that point. Yeah, what I'm saying is let's not say the game is over. So they played an extra inning in this, uh, in this Pirates and Orioles game, but the umps left not interested the umps just left the game they must have made that deal between each other as managers yeah it was like brandon hyde and Derek shelton uh like took the words right out of my mouth yeah but they're out there they're like it's amazing because clearly they've made the agreement we got an extra half inning here let's go ahead and use it and the umpires were not told about it and don't give a crap or didn't care they're like uh i've already started walking to the car I can't turn around. I can't put this thing in reverse. It's really quite something. And so they played a half inning without any umpires, and they were call- the catchers were calling their own balls and strikes. It's gorgeous. And the broadcast, the Pirates broadcast, continued uh, on this game, and some weird things happened. 
I wonder if Baltimore is asked to play a bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, the umpires didn't know about this. Uh, the umpires seem satisfied with ending the game. And the Orioles have. Well, Freddy Gomez, who was scheduled to pitch today, they would like him to pitch. But usually what that is is it's an agreement with the managers. They consult the umpires. And they have dinner reservations. So <laughs> are you fine with uh, just us uh, umpiring? I mean, they do that in the simulated games, right? A team versus team. They'll, uh... All right. I'll be the umpire this inning. Okay. Okay. So uh, we're going to play a bottom of the ninth inning. He used to do it this way. What do you think? No. All right. No. All right. Huh. Base hit for Alvarez. Which won't count in the games that don't count. Jason DeLay hit a home run back when the game was really happening. I tell you what, if you were tuning in right now from Pittsburgh, you might be a little bit confused. This game that doesn't count is already over. There are no rules. This is what you tune in for, folks. He's out, I think. All right, now the game is uh, unofficially again over. Neil, what do you think about the bottom of the knife? I got nothing for you. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got nothing. Oh God! It's so out. Good. I think uh, is awesome. Uh, <laughs> there was one point. There was one point. There was a fly ball to left. It was like, it, catch it! Don't catch it! Just say he's out. Doesn't matter because it really doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter when the umpires are there either. But what <laughs> baseball? I guess you could do it with no umpires. Self umpiring. Yeah, but it's a, it's you know balls and strikes are a little tricky. But soon. Soon it's coming, right? The our robot overlords are taking over. Mm -hmm. Also, just the the umpires being like, "We're out of here. This is how little we matter to this whole operation continuing." Watch, they can do it without us. Like, the visual's insane. They look back like twice, so they consider oh, you guys are staying? it. Yeah, you understand? They talk about it. They realize you realize we're leaving. They want to stay. Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. We're out of here. Jason Delay hit a home run back when the game was really happening. <laughs> It's so crazy. And they, they just nobody cares and they just play. But it, there's also something kind of beautiful and childlike about it. You remember that moment um, where Vince Velasquez was pitching to Mike Trout? Was it when Velasquez was a White Sox? It was, right? Because it was the Saturday day game. And Velasquez is pitching to Mike Trout and it's pouring rain. And Velasquez was pitching well. And he wanted to stay out there because he was feeling it. And Mike Trout was enjoying it. And it just came raining down harder and harder. And, like, the umpire and the catcher start to walk away. And Trout didn't want to walk away. And Velasquez doesn't want to walk away. And just, like, it connects with that thing when you were a kid and you were playing basketball on the street corner and it was time for dinner and you didn't want to leave. You know? You just, sure. You just didn't want to go home. I mean, that's, like, a very romantic, Spiegsian uh, interpretation of what happened in those three outs of Pirates <laughs> Orioles in the spring. There are no rules. It, this is what you tune in for, folks. Granted, they were doing what their manager had told them to do Correct. and they found the rules. But yeah. there were a couple moments. One time when the catcher's signaling the ball, the, the ball it's like, and he just had this goofy grin on his face and everybody's kind of looking around. It did feel like that was in play, that some of those guys were feeling that, that 
play ball in the afternoon feeling. That Velasquez-Trout game that you're talking about, Tanny and I were there with Lawrence and half of the morning mess, and we left early because of the rain wow. and went to some Mexican place in Pilsen instead. Wow. Yeah, small world, huh? I, yeah. What a fun moment. What, 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 <laughs> drop in. <laughs> it was. It's pretty hey, good. Hey, I, I'm trying to relate myself when Speaks says these baseball things. Let him know I was there. Yeah. We were there. It's good. All right. You were there. It was a good moment. You weren't down there. I was. I know. Shane, I thought about you last night. I almost what watched. Time? I almost watched kicking and screaming. I was really close. Oh, that's and, nice. And then I did he not. Thought about you. I did hmm. not. Uh, I w- but I did watch episodes two and three of The Last of Us. Oh, you're still confused? You no, never answered my text. I am not confused. I am enthralled. Halfway through episode one, says I'm confused. I, I, I was, I was just, confused. Just start it again. I, I, no. keep, keep watching. You're not that deep in it. I, I, I put down your glass of wine and start again. Um, yeah. Oh, no. back to drinking during the week. Uh, who me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> sure. How are you? Was it Danny yesterday? Did Danny make you get back on the wagon? <laughs> I made you drink. Or yeah, fall off the wagon. Whatever. That makes sense. It oh, was the tension no. when, when mommy and daddy, I mean him and Mark Grody, were fighting. <laughs> <laughs> it was that tension that made me reach for I'm going to be on my best behavior during this 5, I know o- you five are. o'clock Bears report. But holy hell, how good is episode t- 2 and episode 3 of The Last of Us? Oh, my God, I get it. I understand now why it's a pop culture th- thrill ride that's taken over the world. I haven't seen a minute of it. Dude. Fight your way through the confusion that happens around the 40-minute mark of episode one. Too busy watching sports. <laughs> Danny, you under- what was your confusion? Did you have any confusion No, in episode I had no one? confusion okay, in episode one. I had a little confusion. Oh, wow. There was a character named Robert. I was like, what, what's going on here? There's too many characters. There's too many things I happening. hate when TV shows just throw in guys named Robert. <laughs> what? I don't know what's going on. I was Is it very a Bob? Confused. Is it a Bobby? Why God, we what are we calling this guy? Oh, Who's yeah, that? I know. Robert? But, man, that episode three, out of nowhere... The entire it, thing. It hooked you, huh? Oh my God, it was beautiful. Good for you. Legit. I th- beautiful. I think I mushed it. There's a. There's a. Last episode was basically. It was a. Yikes. It was the. Yeah. Turn was, bad. Nah. A tur- little turn back the clock episode. A little. An back, unnecessary back flashback. Yeah, flashback episode. That's the word I'm looking for. But maybe it's setting it up for greater t- context down the road. I we'll hope see. so. Look, I like don't if know. every other episode is an eight or nine out of ten, this one's like a two or a three out of ten. You know, it's oh, funny because, wow. Tanny, you had said that it's the most you look for in episodic TV since True Detective. You didn't mean episode is season one, but that's certainly what me and Danny heard <laughs> when you yeah. said it. You guys do a lot of inferring on that side of the yeah. partition. But you know how <laughs> some episodes, like the, whatever episode of season one of True Detective where they have, it ends with like the gunfight with the single camera thing yeah. that going through... The, yeah, when the apartment complex ex- extracts the guy. From Legendary. The, yeah, yeah. As I was finishing up episode three of The Last of Us, I was like, I'm going to remember this episode as a standalone thing. Oh, wow. That is remarkable to a certain level. Just really surprised me. Wow. All right. Yeah. That's impressive. What sport do you think could get away with having no refs? No refs. Neil, what do you think about the bottom of the ninth? I got nothing for you. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got nothing. Um, basketball, where you call your own fouls. Basketball, right? Yeah. Soccer, because they're faking it anyway. There you go. Yeah, yeah. but we've ba- all, we've all played hardcore pickup basketball with. Yeah, call with your no own refs. fouls. Call your own fouls. Shane, I, now be careful of that in your search tab. I warned you about that. Hardcore pickup basketball. <laughs> I know. I know it really makes me want to put a needle between my toes, man. Oh no. Can I close the door? Turn the Bluetooth off? <laughs> Turning off the Bluetooth is very important. <laughs> that, that is very, very significant. Uh, the update on the darkness retreat 
might have a softening even more on how Aaron Rodgers is approaching this whole thing. And clarity is coming next in the score. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.